Hello. Thanks for coming. Let me just see your ticket. Ah, yes, you're here for Kat Chinetti, a.k.a. Kit Kat Kitteridge, a.k.a. the mother of rapids, a.k.a. the Tyler Durden of the DM. Or are you here for the Mark Robb, a.k.a. Sean Madlove, a.k.a. Gordon Darks, a.k.a. Thanos, the Titan of Typos? Either way, you're in for a ride. Oh, and who am I? Why, I'm the one who put these two crazy kids together. I'm Hanson Bain, a.k.a. the compelling protagonist of Isla Powell Claim, a.k.a. the problematic problem solver, a.k.a. Abel Magwitch of this podcast shit. Welcome to the show, and be sure to tip your waitress at K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-C-H-I-N-E-T-T-I on Venmo. Enjoy the show. Oh, that's what your um. I just saw your story a little while ago. That's what that was. That was okay. Yeah. Yep, I'm doing the purple and black skin of Judy Nails from Guitar Hero Three. What was your favorite instrument from Guitar Hero? Um, for the Guitar Hero, Guitar Hero, it was always guitar because that seemed to be the one that had the most finished. Yeah. Um. Like, Guitar Hero's drums were always terrible. Rock Band had the drums figured out a little bit better. Um, but, yeah, I was usually a guitar, or I would do the vocals a lot, because I would just get handed the microphone. I was always... I was always, the, I always wanted the bass, because I had rhythm. The electric guitar has no rhythm, so yeah, I had to play to my strengths. My uh, my friend who runs the piano bar I go to a lot, we went to a local barcade and got on the Guitar Hero machine at the same time, and he tanked so bad at bass oh. that we were booed off. Oh, would he play like like um? What were the levels? It wasn't like expert. It was like. It, there's a, hard, a easy, medium, hard, and expert. Okay. They had like funky names, right? Uh, not really. The the cabinet one especially really dumbs it down for you. Okay. But uh, yeah, and it was like, this what is he, your this is your job. What did he play on? Uh, hard, I think. Hmm. So he tried to impress you. That's all that was. <laughs> well, his uh, the piano bar is being turned into a barcade this weekend for PAX. Uh, Red Bull rented them for the weekend. And uh, so I'm going to be hanging out there a whole lot. Uh, and they're like, they have Red Bull cocktails. And I was like, <laughs> if you read the back of a can, that's a bad idea, but okay. 
Yeah. So I I never understood. Well, <clears throat> until I did it, I never understood the logic of why you wanted to do Red Bull and vodka. And so, like, I would only drink that if I'm tired. But I wanted to power through. But yeah. the thing is, if you're tired, maybe you should listen to your body and just go to sleep. I'm 22. That's not real for me. Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> ugh, yeah, man. Like, I actually, the funny thing is, I was thinking about even caffeine today. So I was like, for, I woke up in the middle of my room cycle. And for whatever, like, if I wake up in the middle of my room cycle, like, at least the next eight to ten hours, I'm groggy. Mm-hmm. And so I like I, I got Starbucks and the caffeine and sugar basically pushed me out of the groggy state. Mm-hmm. And so like do people when they like drink all these caffeine shits, do they do they get energy or do they just get untired? Because I don't know I don't know the difference. For me, I just get untired, but I don't feel energetic to do anything. So, for me, it helps me concentrate. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I just use it for that. It also, I think it helps kind of just shake everything loose in the morning. So, I don't really have energy. Like, it doesn't give me, like, energy, but it's kind of like, hey, 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 we're up now. This is This is our life now. We have to deal with this. Cause like I, well, I saw my dad drink coffee like literally every day when I was still living with him, and so mm-hmm. I kind of made the resolution never to get addicted to caffeine. Oh, it's so, way too late for me. I've been addicted since I was a junior in high school. Oh no! See, no, like, I like had to dodge it at all costs. Like, if I was that, that maybe why I d- I have stopped growing. I'm five foot six. <laughs> I have tiny feet. Like. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I kept growing into my senior year, so, yeah. But, I mean, I was tired my entire high school career, so you got to have that trade off somewhere. Mm. So, unlike usual, I did not prepare any topics at all. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we did discuss doing the... Um, doing a double feature for the Be Kind Rewind section. So mm-hmm. so for this week, we, uh, we're we going to cover 1933's The Invisible Man in lieu of the reboot Invisible Man coming out this month. And you're going to be seeing a screening for it tomorrow. Yep. Comes out on Friday, I think. Okay. And so far, I've heard that it's it's good so far. So that's that's good news. Which is news. surprising to me. Why surprising? Uh, it's Blumhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not think Blumhouse is good? They have never been good before. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, hold on. So Blumhouse this- is like, hey. I made a movie with $15. Take it, movie theater. And then movie theater is like, thank you, Blumhouse. It made $18. Here's $3. And they're like, oh, boy. It was super successful. And like... Hold on. I got to see the Blumhouse roster for this slander. And I said that I'm not even a, a horror guy. 
Well, hold on. They didn't they um, executive produce Get Out though. I, I, I mean, think. yes. The nice thing about Blumhouse is they will produce other projects because, yeah. like, they made three dollars on a lot of movies. <laughs> um, but then they will make. So they started with the Paranormal Activity movies, okay. which I would say your mileage may vary on. Like, they did a couple before that, but that was, like, the first one that did really successful. But, like, if you go through, I would say maybe one out of every eight <laughs> titles you actually recognize. Yeah. And some of them are horror classics, but a lot of them are... Ouija, Unfriended. I heard Unfriended was kind of kind of good. Is that the social media one? It's where it's Gem and the Holograms. It's not that good. Um, um, but then in there they have a couple really good ones like The Gift, but like they weren't super high on the like production list for that one. Asia, Origin of Evil, Happy Death Day, Happy Death Day to You, Truth or Dare, All so, Them Purges, All Them Purges. So, so yeah, they did do Get Out. Their horror movies are not great. That said, Black Klansman, okay. <laughs> Like, I don't oh, understand. They'll throw a little bit of money at anything, which is fine. But, like, that, to me, lacks artistic integrity. Whoa. So, apparently, the Halloween remake, it only cost $10 million to make, and it made over $200 million. Yeah, I saw it twice. They also have a little after-credits Easter egg. Where you hear him breathing. Oh, well. So, like, he's fine. Yeah, no no one thought he was going to die, so. Pitter patter, let's get at her. I'm like. Yeah. Um, glass. No thanks. Uh, Black Christmas. Black History Month. Uh. Oh, Fantasy that, Island. I was going to say, they're doing that Fantasy Island shit that's coming up. Yeah. Um, notice, like, hang on. Is this their rating on Rotten Tomatoes? I wonder if there's an aggregate score for Blumhouse on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I don't think I don't think Rotten Tomatoes is advanced that much well, to have it from production studios. I know some people make their own like Make lists list. yeah yeah but like a lot of they don't make a lot of good movies so so i'm nervous because they will throw money at anything like they're making a merrily we roll along the musical the steven sondheim musical 
directed by Richard Linklater in 2022. They're doing uh, Purge 7 or Paranormal Activity 7. Like, how is the well not tapped at that point? I mean, listen, the Purge works. Oh, it's Paranormal Activity. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Purge works. So they've all been good? No. <laughs> that's just the tagline of the purge. Whenever somebody's like, "Why do we do the purge, Father?" They're like, "The purge works." Purge. Oh no, there are they're going to be redoing the craft. Okay, yep. I'm I'm all out on Blumhouse. Like, there are certain classics you don't touch. No one needs to touch the craft. Like, yep. Oh, but no. they will because nothing is sacred and they lack artistic integrity. Jesus. That's the thing, right? Like, they'll throw scripts, they'll throw money at anything. They'll throw a little more at, like, Spike Lee or M. Night Shyamalan, although not much at M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, And, like, they bought, I believe my understanding is that they bought the Universal Monsters license after the mummy went poorly. So the mummy was meant to be the start of the dark universe uh, that came out in like what 2017? Yeah, 2017. Uh, starred uh, Tom Cruise. Uh, got a 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Jesus. 34% on Metacritic. So make of that what you will. Uh, and was a bad movie. And after that movie made, like, no dollars, well, it made some dollars, but not enough dollars, uh, they, and, like, they included a bunch of other setups, like, there was a, a, uh, Mr. Hyde. Oh, no. <laughs> like, Jekyll and Hyde. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, like, they were clearly setting up this, like, monsters universe, right? And then yeah. the mummy made no money. And then Blumhouse was like, ah, oh, that's a really cool license you got there. And like, decent amount of production facility. Uh, what if we made all of the movies for like $11 a piece? How does that sound? Um, the, the only good and Universal about- was like, money is money. We do like money. Money. The only good thing I'm saying about the craft is that there's a woman director, but right. her film, her filmography is not good at all. And she had a, a movie starring Kirsten Dunst and Ryan Gosling, mm-hmm. and that that only got thirty three percent of Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah, like I really like Elizabeth Moss, who's uh, the lead in the new Invisible Man. Yeah, she's great. Um, and I love the marketing that they have for it. Like, there's a, a bunch of buses up here that are like, he's on the bus with you, the invisible man. Like, Jeez. I like that. <laughs> you like being creeped out when you're going to work every day? Oh, I think it's great. Um, <laughs> like, I really like this idea. Um, but, uh, so, Lay Wannell. Wannell, Wannell, uh, who is directing 
Invisible Man is is a dude, uh, and he wrote Saw, the original. He wrote uh, Insidious, Insidious Chapter 2, and Insidious Chapter 3, which all just completely dip in quality as they go. Yeah, actually. Uh, he wrote the first installment of Saw and helped to write the Saw movies. He also acted in one of them and produced all of them. So he made he made money, honey. Oh, um, Blumhouse did The Normal Heart. Huh. That's actually a really good movie. Holy shit. Well... Right, but, like, they've got a couple different ones that are, like, oh, shit, like, I forgot that they made this. But, like, I swear to God, any, they must throw money at anyone who comes into their office. I mean, if, okay, so if you made something that only costs you $15,000 to make, and then it turned around and made $193 million at the box office, you know, that's... That's a lot of capital just to throw shit at the wall. So Yeah. No, and that's exactly what they do. Yeah. And some people I think argue that that's like a good thing, but like I don't I don't know. They didn't even do a press screening for Fantasy Island because it's they thought bad. it was going to be that bad, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I'm on board. I'm going to say <laughs> I say fuck it like if if I have a hustle and a dream and I can sell it to Blumhouse, fuck it. <laughs> if they touch Creature from the Black Lagoon, I will politely, albeit firmly, murder them all. <laughs> I mean, bro, these type of... It's, I mean... I, like, I, think- I, I would not be able to live if... Uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, you know, 2027, had a a 3% Rotten Tomatoes rating. Like... Someone's... Like, that's the terrible thing about the age you live in. Someone's going to touch these classics. Well, that's the thing, right? I feel like Invisible Man is their, like, litmus test. Because initially they were like, The Mummy. We're going to turn it into an action thriller with a sexy, hot lady mummy. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be the gritty origin story of how the mummy becomes the mummy. Nailed it. Uh, and then they were like, oh, <laughs> this made like zero dollars. Shit. Uh, 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 Blumhouse, do something. Blumhouse. Yeah. All right. What's like the lowest stakes way we can like litmus test this arena? And then they were like, I feel like not a ton of people are super into the Invisible Man. Why don't we try that? Yeah, I mean, I before we um, decided to go this route to watch it, like I, I never watched it or never had the inkling to watch it. Um, I, <laughs> I watched The Hollow Man from <laughs> from like two thousand with Kevin Bacon. Who was I talking about that with the other day? Someone else was like. Yeah, also Hollow Man. And I was like... That movie was killer. <laughs> that 
movie was killer. It's like, not it was, a replacement for the original, though. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, well, we, we see a lot of, you know, wild, you know, shit in that movie. That's another movie that could definitely go against the... It can take the um, burn the original film problematic era. It's it's pushes it. Like, you have, there's, like, some sexual assault shit that's, like, really terrible. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of violence against animals and human beings. So. I'm already like I'm I'm cooling on it more and more as as we talk about it. I'll be honest. Well, yeah, like it's. I mean, I it came out in 2000. I was I, I was right. It came out in 2000. Um, it only it it made like just under 200 million at the box office. I feel like. Um, can we please appreciate that, like, part of the tagline is a future without flesh? <laughs> what tag? Hold on, from which one? What tagline is that from? The so I just searched it and it popped up on Hollow Man. Like, I searched Hollow Man and it's like, uh. It says, you know, it's the little synopsis and the bottom is doomed to a future without flesh. And then if you scroll down, it's like, uh, taglines. Future without flesh? Question mark. And I'm like, it's so bad. Uh, so Hollow Man has a 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Holy shit! Like it's you know like okay, so we're talking about Blumhouse and how Blumhouse would throw money at whatever. See if it's mm-hmm. like the 2000s were really great about th- about doing that, but then. Obviously, it led to a lot of bullshit. So, like the kinda... Ouija movies. Oh. Happy Death Day to you. I thought the, I heard people say the first one was good. Was it not good? I never I never saw it. It it was the most formulaic anything I've ever seen. Like it was a competently put together formulaic piece of garbage. But like, <laughs> uh, also, can we please appreciate that the Invisible Man? has a 100% critic approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I would give it I would give it pretty high. Hold on, let me pull it up right now. Like 100 100%. Now, so so watching this movie, it's supposed to be a horror movie, but there was some it, shit I was cracking up at. <laughs> I mean, I think it's meant more to be like a suspense like thing because we know who the guy is and we know where he is most of the time yeah it's more of a mystery suspense at least to my mind yeah a supernatural horror suspense bullshit bullshit i don't i didn't well i didn't see people in the 30s like even visually seeing like the computer i don't even know that computers back then but you know, the graphics of just, like, the guy with no hands and no face. I can see how that would freak people out. We've definitely been desensitized to that completely. So I can see how, you know, that coupled with the, the wife's, like, gargling screams, like, every mm-hmm. five minutes. Like, but for me, like, it was fucking hilarious. But, but, um, but no, I can see how, like, especially back then, it would be... I, I can see people being scared of it, in, in a sense. And this guy was a fucking maniac. Like, this guy fucking knocked he crazy very much on has, tracks. 
he very much has the like unlimited power like problem <laughs> you know yes. where he he's realized like oh I can do whatever I want yeah yeah like I mean would you I don't, I don't see myself being like a homicidal maniac like this guy is knocking over chains. <laughs> like, like I, I would like, I would like to think I would do something more like humanistic. You know, like, you know. I, don't I mean, know, I don't know that I'm like fully prepared to be like, all right, let's talk about like the ethics of like conditional murder because I don't know that I'm like there for that. I, I'm aware that this would kind of turn me into a a judge jury executioner type situation but like i can say with great confidence that i would not murder or harm innocent people <laughs> i know well, this to be true about myself like yes, i would not I, just topple a train because i could yeah that should be pretty wild he was murdering cops like yep <laughs> i mean i might <laughs> I wouldn't actually. That's not true. But like, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> I'll take that out. Don't worry. I'll take that out. <laughs> what time stamp are we at? Um, uh, that's the twenty-five minute mark. Don't worry. I got you. <laughs> uh, but nah, man. Like, I mean, there's. I understand the point of like you know, especially taking out innocent people. I know Handsome Bane. I know a, a couple of uh, political figures he would take out. But I definitely lot. think I would punch a couple people <laughs> just so they know they did a bad thing. What makes me want to get close to someone and snuggle? Fear. Salutations, I'm Melisette, and on A Frightful Fret with Melisette, I read classic horror stories combining audiobooks and audio drama into a podcast. Come away with me into the darkness and let me make your ears tingle with a sensation of terror. A Frightful Fret with Melisette, available everywhere podcasts are, and find us at ourfrightfulfret.net. Don't forget... So when's the first time you saw Invisible Man? I think I saw it for the first time in like 2009-ish. I've only seen it once before this. Um, and I remember thinking like, oh, like this is weird and I like it. <laughs> okay. Because like this is not a full production like but it is and there's no green screen like I spent a lot of time figuring out like how yeah you know uh and I I liked that I also liked that it was kind of a mystery kind of a thriller it wasn't a horror movie like first so because I think movies with horror elements 
are often more interesting if they have other genres kind of crossbred in. Yeah. So the the write-up for Invisible Man or Rotten Tomatoes, the James Well classic The Invisible Man features still sharp special effects, loads of tension, a goofy sense of humor, and a memorable debut from Claude Rains. Yeah. So, so I wonder if at the time they really were trying to go for humor because that the the, the barkeeper's wife like Oh, oh yeah. over the top. And when he's just pants running around, like, singing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was dying. Yeah. Like, there were, there were some really funny parts of this. And I don't, like I said, I don't know if it's intentional comedy or not, but I'm, I'm going to just assume that they were smart enough about that, and so they, they probably knew it would be funny. Well, I know that the James Whale is, like, was pretty like that thing so like i think he believed that horror had to have other stuff too or else it would get boring because he had done other movies at that point so he directed frankenstein and bride of frankenstein as well as the invisible man uh, and the old dark house What's the old dark house about? Uh, it's like a haunted house movie. Okay, is that good? Uh, I haven't seen it in a really long time, so I'm not a great person to ask. Uh, keep in mind this man was born in 1889. Jesus, God. Um, and like his, his he was kind of a, like a, a little stinker, you know. Um, so I think the idea is kind of that he he liked to use comedy to make things more real and more like authentic but also to play with people's expectations that's not bad at all um because like he was upset because the studio made like Frankenstein have a happy ending and he was like no, I am, I am killing the invisible. Ma- He's gonna die. <laughs> like, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like his ass is et. Like, so I kind of I, I appreciate that. All right. What um, so I know, like I said, people people are talking already about the movie being good, Invisible Man. Are you trying to temper your expectations, or are you fully just expecting it to be as good as people say? Uh, the new one? Yeah. Generally speaking, I try to keep my expectations low. I try to stay away from trailers at this point in my life. Uh, and I, I've, as much as I am a fan of things, I've been trying to stay away from fan culture. Okay. Uh, because I find it really disappointing and often painful yeah that's I, that's something that i i don't think i've like like verbally spoken into the air but yeah it's fan culture is something stan culture like, mm-hmm. like that's it's very ugly and very gross so yes yeah. um i'm a big fan of like 
there's a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. Uh, and they are really like fans of movies like that. They stan film like that. <laughs> and like that's kind of and, like obviously they have movies they don't like and whatever. But like the fact that like their fandom seems to much more be like movies in general than like whatever. Like obviously they were disappointed in Rise of Skywalker, but like that's okay. Yeah. Uh, also, I don't know if you've read the Trevorrow script, but I am reading the Trevorrow script right now, and it is a journey. Uh, <laughs> if we wanted to cover that next week, that might be a fun idea. What, um, is it just online somewhere? Yep, I can also just send it to you. I have it saved in my Google Drive as a PDF. Uh, I've never read scripts before. Really? I was, I... For some reason, I it's weird. Like I, every DVD like of Consequence that I used to own, like I used to always like fuck with the um, director commentary, cast commentary stuff like that. But like mm-hmm. I've I've really I've never really read a script. The only thing closest to I, I've come to reading a script, uh, Spike Lee did a book on Do the Right Thing and it had yep. like certain like aspects of the script in it. But yeah, the annotated that. scene situation. Yeah. So what am am I missing by not reading scripts? I mean, usually not much. um, Because, like, a script is a a set piece or, like, a a building block, I guess, and, like, the overall film experience, right? So, like, sometimes it can help you get into a director's mind a little bit. But, like, you could also learn a lot by studying what the costume designer sketched or whatever, you know? But in this case, uh, Trevorrow wrote a script for episode nine called Duel of the Fates. Gave it to Disney. Disney said, yes, this. And then they and Trevorrow fell out and they just tossed the whole script. How far did you get through it? I'm about half done. What's it about? So far, at least. So... It is about Ray not wanting to have to possibly sacrifice herself for the greater good. Okay. Because she's finally found her, her squad and her team, and she wants to have her squad and her team. Uh, it's about Poe and Finn and Rose trying to figure out how to break up the blockade of uh, First Order ships. Okay. Uh and about their teamwork, uh, as well as Ray's role in that teamwork, because she's very involved in the team as well. Uh, it is about Kylo Ren trying to find his way in the world, I guess. So, like, he goes to Mustafar to visit Vader's temple and is, like, horribly disfigured. He is, or the... He, he is... He gets horribly disfigured. Um, You know, so the fact that, like, Darth Vader basically personally rejected him. Yeah. You know, does that make him evil? Does that make him more sympathetic to the light? Does the fact that Rey doesn't want to give herself up for the resistance, or at least is struggling with it, I wouldn't say she doesn't want to, does that make her more sympathetic to the dark, or does that just mean that she has a more difficult path to the light? You know, it's a lot 
more drama-y and high-stakes-y. Good things, uh, by the way. Those are good things to happen. Yeah, I don't think it's a great script. Like, I still think it. I probably would have been a little like, well, that's the best she could do. But, like, it <laughs> takes risks. Like, the First Order, like, they make no buts about it. Like, they are Nazis. Like, yes. one of the first scenes is a beheading in a square with a laser guillotine. Okay, all right. I mean, they are Nazis, but okay. We can no, finally like, accept it. Yeah, it's, it's you know that scene where Hux is standing on that, like, thing with the big banners and they all have the really tailored suits and it's all black and white and red? It's, yeah. it's that, but what that next evolution would be. Okay. And it also kind of takes into account the events of Episode Eight <laughs> Instead of just going, well, I could have told the story better, I'm J.J. Abrams, yeah! Like, <laughs> so... You know, make of that what you will. Did it's you, also similar, okay. similar while still being remotely different from episode six, which I feel like JJ really struggled with, was deviating from. Um, yeah, he did. He didn't deviate from episode four at all. Like, it's literally yep. the same thing. It's a pawn He guy. was blinded by his Star Wars fandom. Yeah. Um, Even then, Han dying was the same thing. Basically the same thing as uh, Kenobi dying. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like, grouchy old mentor gives himself up to buy everyone else time to escape. Yeah. Did you, oh, I was going to ask, did you read the script for the um, uh, episode eight for Last Jedi? No. I don't really feel a strong desire to. Okay. I I really like it as a movie. Fight me in the DMs, nerd boys. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think it did a lot different, but I don't think that's bad. I love episode eight. Episode eight is is my favorite Star Wars. So I think know. it might be tied with Empire for me. Yeah, it's it's for me one is Jedi 2 for me is Empire, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I I also feel like the Trevorrow script, even though I haven't finished it yet, is clearly working towards an ending, yeah. not like one of nine endings that they <laughs> picked last minute to appease someone, I guess. Do you think... I don't think this is going to happen, but do you think episode nine is going to age well? Because I really don't envision me ever going out of my way to watch episode nine again. I will, I'm sure, someday when marathoning it, go, ah, it can't be as bad as I remember, right? Because, like, in my own way, I do hold a soft spot for the prequels. But I do think that episode nine did one thing that the prequels didn't do. And the prequels are so weird and wacky and zany and bad that they're fun to watch and make fun of. And episode nine to me just does not have that. Episode nine is so competently boring that it's not even fun to make fun of. Yeah. Actually, you know the great thing about episode eight? It actually explains the prequels 
in a way that kind of makes it make sense. Mm-hmm. Like episode eight is basically telling you like the 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 um, fallacy of the Jedi and how mm-hmm. their hubris blinded them to a betrayer in their ranks. Yeah. So if you, if you look back in the prequels, you specifically see like how okay, so Mace and Yoda like they really were kind of stubborn assholes, and maybe they should have gave. Mm-hmm. Anakin, you know, room to train and to grow. And so I think episode eight did actually right. episode eight did an amazing job because of that. And like I'll be honest, if they had given him the rank of master, like none of this would have happened. And like I understand that they had reservations about him, but like by pushing him away, like they set him adrift and he ended up in a bad because he was set adrift, you know? And, like, I think that's, you know, I think the fallacy of the Jedi in a lot of ways is that complacency, but I also think it's, like, how much of breeding out emotionality is breeding out empathy. Great point, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, so, like, the understanding is there is that this is our job and this is what we need to do, and the fact that Obi-Wan was, like, What do you mean he wasn't given the rank of master? Like, that is why I think the challenge between Obi-Wan and Anakin actually works. Um, You know, and the fact that they're not supposed to love and Obi-Wan says, like, I loved you. You were family to me. Is so much more impactful knowing that that is a thing they are not supposed to have. Yeah. That was weird to think about. The Jedi aren't supposed to gain attachment to love things. But how can you really protect people if you don't love them? Well, it's a job. Like, they they have chosen protecting as their mantle. And that is what they wear. (coughs) And, like, it doesn't matter if they care about the thing or not. They have chosen protection. That is their path. So I think you could make the argument that, like, oh, it's radical empathy, but, like, it's also not because it's impersonal. Be impersonal, yeah. Like, I think, I mean, it's like, even about cops, if you think about, like, police officers today, like, you know, do they, do police officers really love people or are they to basically figure out ways to fund their local county and state by harassing and arresting people. So it's kind of like the same sort of thing. Yeah, and I think that my hope is that that love exists. Yeah. But I also know that in a lot of cases it doesn't. Yeah. You know? Unfortunately. It's a job, it's an outlet, it's an obsession, it's a maintaining the order, whatever that means, you know? Like, I don't I don't pretend to think that all police are benign. I'm not an idiot, you know? And I feel similarly about, like, teachers. Like, there's a lot of issues with teachers who don't see the value in certain kids, you know? And that's also a point that the prequels make surprisingly well. You know, is like, don't count out people that you think are different or bad or had a later start than you or whatever. 
because then they'll turn into Darth Vader and you're fucked. <laughs> yes, we need to avoid all Vaders at all costs. Maybe let's chill with turning people into Darth Vader. Yes, I recommend that also, yes. Um, so, you know, I, I think there are some good messages in the prequels. I just we'll- don't know where they are. <laughs> I mean, you uh, kind of have to, like, extrapolate really hard. You have to, like, get a truffle-hunting pig and set him <laughs> loose and be like, go go find the intelligent commentary, boy. And, like, he'll come back with, like, a half-eaten, like, a, yeah, a half-eaten, like, nugget of, like, weird George Lucas wisdom. And you're just like, yep, this is a a thing I now own and have to deal with. It's it's like, oligarchies are bad. So emperors. Disney are white slavers. (laughs) (laughs) While it's makes Emily Black Jedi. Yeah. Like, uh, nah, dude, like there was a moment in, uh, in Rise of Skywalker, where Lando sees Finn, and then Lando sees the girl. Yeah. And Lando makes a face, right? And I'm like, this is the him realizing there can be more than two people of color existing in the galaxy at the same time face. Like, because it just just seems like he's like, one, two, three, ah! Like... I, I've definitely been in situations where I've expected nothing but white people and have seen black people, and then my reaction is, oh my god, it's niggas, yes. <laughs> so, so I, also, I feel that. Just for canonically, apparently he's not trying to hit on her. Canonically, apparently that's probably his kid. Yeah, that's what people he had are a saying. kid, like in from him. Yeah. This... Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. It's, I feel like that's so cheap, though, isn't it? Like, because uh, I heard that theory, like, just on, um, like, the internet or whatever, and I just kind of felt like, we can do better than that, can't we? I, I mean, I feel kinda... like it's worse if he's, like, leering on her, though. Oh, like... no, yeah. He can be, like, a... Like a like an uncle figure. Or like, just a mentor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like right. a, yeah, not like a, you know, hand on the shoulder, Joe Biden-esque type mentor, but an actual, uh, yeah. <laughs> I like the way your hair smells. <laughs> oh, Call me Uncle Joe. Like, talk about falling off a cliff, man, like, this guy Biden. I give everyone massages when they look stressed, whether or not they want them. Oh, so you mean you didn't want me to almost touch your breast? Oh. Oh, sorry. I just... See, you, you have to understand, as I do not see color, I also do not see race. A chest is a chest, regardless of if there are breasticles. We, I was just making sure Barack rock that... and I. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, 
Are you, well, if you don't mind me asking, are you in favor of anyone in this Democratic? Uh, we peered off way from the Invisible Man to something else, but. I mean, I feel like the Invisible Man is definitely kind of relevant because the way he describes like taking down the democracy and becoming like the leader of the free world is yeah very reminiscent of some things <laughs> and from 2020 to 1933 it's times the flat circle yeah uh so i would say that i am super emphatically enthusiastic about whoever gets nominated like, yes, I'm, I'm not trying to be that person, but I think they all have problems. I think that Bernie bros make me want to throw myself out a window. I think that we need health care. I think that legalized marijuana is not a deal breaker for me, but like it would be nice. Uh, but like that's not a live or die issue for me. So that doesn't really do much. I think we need to maybe tax some people more. I think we need to chill about immigration and like. But at the same time, like, I think we need to get our Cheeto in chief the fuck out. So whoever gets nominated will get my enthusiastic support. Will get my the little sign in my yard. Like, yeah, you know, so uh, I I hope it is Warren because I really like her. Uh, and I think as female presidents go, like female nominees. I think she would be great. Um, I also understand that Warren does not seem to be what all the people want right now. I think, and I think what's going to happen. I think she's going to end up running as Bernie's vice president. I that is that is my dream ticket at this point, based on the facts. Um, I really support Pete Buttigieg having a political career I do not think he is ready to be president yeah he looks he looks young as fuck up there man like and not in a good way either he just looks too green well the other thing is America's and I hate to say this I really do because I wish it wasn't true but I do not think Americans are ready for a gay president you know because uh, like people I'll, who are moderate who are voting for him you know, who might normally swing Republican are great, but I don't know that he's inspiring a lot of people to come out. So the only thing I would counter, and I'm not, I'm not a Buttigieg supporter, but the only thing to counter would be there's plenty of people who said we weren't ready for a black president, and then we had to get one to make people ready. Yeah. That's the only pushback. I mean, because you, no, I think, because even from like the shit with Hillary, like, you can say we weren't ready for a woman president, which. Except that we were. Yeah, that's that's kind of a thing, yeah. Um, so I think, but honestly, like, I think for a lot of people, like, and I, I so vehemently disagree with this, like, it hurts me to say, but I think that for a lot of people, any sort of queer is a bridge too far. Oh, speaking of that, so this morning at like 6.30 a.m., I got on Twitter and... <laughs> which is I mean, mood with which you so is, far. 
which is typically not really the best thing you want to start your day off, but I, I'm a masochist. But <laughs> it's okay. I'm on Twitter right now. So, so this morning, like, I saw a tweet, and it was like, so some guy said a bisexual person doesn't need to disclose their just uh, a bisexual person doesn't need to disclose their sexuality. What does it add to the relationship with you? If you're if you know they're bi, now what? And my reply was, if you would if you, if someone is intimate, I'm sorry, if someone is intimidated by your sexuality, then you don't need to be with them. And can you have intimacy with someone and not be honest about your sexuality? So I don't think we've even come far. I don't think we've come as far as people like give us credit for. Honestly, I do think we we have made like great strides in talking about trans lives. And because uh, I, I, I coming from the '90s, like I never would have thought people would have taken trans people seriously. Yeah. And so we we crossed that bridge in a small sense, but yeah, I I don't think. But also, like conversion the therapy is still a thing that's legal in a lot of states. Yeah. Like, you know, at the end of the day, like. <sighs> We've made a lot of progress, but not nearly enough. Like biphobia and gay, like homophobia, biphobia, transphobia is still super real and super out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I really think it's, if we're not careful, it's only a matter of time until we get bathroom signs that literally say, like, assigned female at birth only on our bathrooms. I can I can definitely see some shit in my Alabama having that right now. So, so yeah. You know, so I do think that we need to be careful, and I do think that's why this next election counts a great deal. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely what I label a get down or lay down Democrat. Like, mm-hmm. like, like whoever's on the ticket, I'm gonna vote for it, and sadly they're gonna lose. Like I. I don't have any faith that the Dems are going to win this election. Like, I think that there is a chance, but I also think that it's it has to be Bernie because he's the one who's captured the young people's imaginations. And yeah. I think I think if we get a swarm of millennial Gen Z shit posters and you know meme memesters, uh, you know if we get a meme lord's worth of people to go to the pre- like go to the polls like actually you know even if it's just cuz they want pot like <laughs> i'm not even kidding i know so many people that were like well nobody's advocating for like marijuana use so i'm not voting and i was like what the fuck that's dangerous and stupid but <laughs> i mean yeah but it's what's happening yeah you know being on a college campus during the last election was like oh Oh, you guys are one-issue voters for, like, the shallowest issue. Oh, yeah. I definitely saw that, yeah. Not to imply that marijuana isn't great and has some medicinal properties, et cetera, et cetera. I totally understand that a lot of people like it, blah, blah, blah. Also, just a reminder, liking marijuana is not a personality trait. That should not be (laughs) the only thing I learned from your Tinder bio. I, like, think, I think weed is the only thing across across party lines that people agree on. Like, yeah, because old people can't pretend they don't like it. They do. Yeah. Uh, and young people 
don't have personalities. They have strains. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're you're not wrong at all. That's funny shit. You know, and your straight edge friends have CBD. Oh, does that shit even work? Yeah. I used it a lot for my leg and, like, post-surgical stuff. Uh, so, and I found it incredibly helpful. So, do you, do you like, is it, like, a lotion that you use? Or is it, like, so, a pill? I had a massage oil. I also had a tincture. Uh, and the massage oil was really nice for topical pain. Uh, so, like, or, like, shallow pain. So, like, kind of the muscles that existed on the outside. But if I was actually having, like, bone pain or stiffness, I found the tincture was really helpful for that. Okay. The tincture has also helped me a lot with cramps uh, okay. and, like, other stuff like that. So if you have, like, a lot of, like, I don't know. I don't know how to say this. That's something a little bit gross. If you have a lot of, like, clenching internal pain, so, you know, cramps or really, like, muscle tightness, whatever, I think that CBD is helpful for that. Um some people claim that it helps them feel more relaxed and a lot of that is psychosomatic but like basically because it removes a lot of the physical symptoms of anxiety so the tense the clench the the shoulders up to your ears that kind of chases the the mental part of it away but that is not like a guaranteed thing Cause yeah, I know like some coworkers, they they'll like pass it around, not pass it around, but they've like put other people onto it. But I don't know. I feel like someone in New York recommended it to me and said like I have a chronic pain disorder and I put CBD in my latte every day and it really helps. Uh, so if you're gonna be walking around uh, a lot, you know, in post surgery, like I still had a brace on at this point, uh, they were like, then you are gonna just try it because worst case scenario it doesn't do anything and you just had a slightly more expensive latte and i was like (laughs) i so i got a cbd latte and was like shit like it didn't inflame as much it didn't hurt as much to walk um like it still hurt but it wasn't like as unbearable as it would have been otherwise so like yeah cbd kind of works your mileage may vary i think also because like a little bit of it, I, I definitely think, is, like, you can think out of it. Uh, like, because it's only a, phys- like, a light physical sensation. That said, I have friends who have claimed to have gotten high off of CBD. And I'm just like... <laughs> I thought that wasn't the point of CBD. So, yeah, are they selling a jig? Well, a lot of them are like took 20 milligrams and then they're like, oh, I can't move my body. And I'm like, y'all, y'all motherfuckers are lightweights. Like, <laughs> damn, girl. I mean, I'm not trying to be like that, but like, that to me is like a little more than I would take. But like, if I were like going to have a hard gym day, like, I would take 10. Jeez. Well, I don't, I'm, bro, I don't even, I don't even, I'm not even really about the, I'm, well, 
to clarify, I'm not anti-drug culture, but I don't know shit about drugs. Like, I don't know, like, measurements and grams. And I'm probably going to put this part out of the podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'll take your word. I'll take your word for that. But, um, but also, like, I've been using CBD for almost a year now. Oh, shit. That long. Well, I got my knee, like, partially replaced uh, August of 2018. Uh, and I just got discharged from physical therapy back in October. Jesus. So it took a while. Jeez. And it still wasn't, like, great. It was just the best it was going to be. Like... I, I'm pretty flexible naturally and like I can't like squat as deep as I used to because it really hurts and that's just how it is now but like if I'm going to the gym or whatever like CBD makes that a little bit more manageable okay. Not bad. so yep um anyway invisible man <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was he was using CBD oil. That's why. He got That's why he it. survived almost jumping out a window. This man was ass naked in freezing <laughs> temperatures. <laughs> he was oh, on I, something. I love when everyone came in and he was just like in the shirt, and I was just like, he's <laughs> helicopter dicking so hard right now, isn't he? he totally is. Like, like he's just if, like woo. Like if he has any measurement he's definitely flinging it back and forth like oh yeah no i just saw him with just the shirt and my brain just immediately went like dan and dan 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 his balls just take those old records off the shit like as he's beating the shit out of people i also just love that he's like i think I'll throttle you. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> well, I, I looked over at my friend who I was watching this with, uh, and I just like kind of waggled my eyebrows a little bit. And I was like, yes, invisible daddy choke me. And he was like, please get out of my house. <laughs> like that- it was not anything I meant at all, but like. When, so on a scale of, of, one being like but and ten being like the best sexual experience of your life, do you think sex with an invisible person would be mad lit? Because well, I'm a dude, so I don't I don't they don't enter me. So I don't know I, for me, like I would feel super strange if I'm like humping air, but like Okay, but my question is, like, so this is something that we were actually talking about, was, like, does the food become invisible as soon as it enters his mouth, or does it happen when he swallows? Because, like, asking for reasons, like, specific, (laughs) specific, To see what it looks like when it goes through the digestive system? Well, nah, because I was just wondering, like, all right, so, like, the invisible man or the invisible woman because there was an invisible woman like three movies later um was was giving head like what do you see do you does your do you just disappear into a void or do you look down and like like if if i'm warning her you know to cover her eye i can't i can't visually tell her cover your eyes off the shoot 
So if I shoot in her eyes, does her eye turn like a special color? Like, I right. don't know. Right. Yeah, but like, even just imagine, like, if you're in an orifice, like. Oh, do you, you still see your dick? Oh, oh, shit. <laughs> Huh. Huh. Well, okay. He said that you Because you see him still... drink, but it immediately disappears. Oh, that, then that's a flaw of the movie because he said you're not supposed to... You, you don't see the food once it digests. But if he drank and it was immediately gone, that means, like, my dick would disappear in some girl. But... So if that's kind of scary. Your drinks metabolize differently. No, like it, everything still has to digest in some way. So, that's fair. So like if you I like, I don't know what he was drinking though. It might have been water, in which case this might be a moot point. So, I mean, if you're invisible, do you want to drink water? Or do you want to get lit? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so like it might have been vodka. Uh, so the point might have been moot. Uh, it might have been. Well, then someone else was like. If he, like, doesn't clean super well in the shower, does that mean he just looks like a bunch of smudges on a screen, like, walking through space? Like, does he look like a glitch in the Matrix? And I was like, yeah, he looks like a video game, like, part that didn't render quite right. And you're like, oh, no. Holy shit. Um, Although, technically, did you look at all into how they made this? Because it's super cool. No, I literally, like, before I hopped in, I literally, like, finished, like, okay. five minutes before. So, they filmed all the stuff, like, all the sets. And then they mapped it all out on the floor on a black, like, a completely painted black soundstage. Okay. And Claude Rains would walk in, you know, with his bandages or whatever. And under his bandages or his gloves he would be wearing basically socks of black velvet. Okay. So when he unwrapped in a fully black room, the cameras wouldn't pick up the difference. Oh, okay. So then what they would do is they would basically cut out, like, frame by frame, the black, and lay that film over the film that they had taken of the space okay because that's all i was saying earlier i didn't think they'd have like computer shit to do this nope it's it's entirely just like they basically took two it's almost like animation where they took the background and then put the moving characters over the backgrounds but like real it's super cool yeah so they were saying like the scene where he's unwrapping in front of the mirror was super difficult because it had to be like four or five different pieces of film laid on top of each other. Jeez. Because you had the the uh, the room, the wall behind the mirror, like all this other stuff, and then you had to have him in it as well, like put on top of each other. Fuck, how long did it take to make this movie then? Oh, I have no idea. I'm I'm looking it up right now to see if there's like any um any time frame. Because it sounds like it would take fucking forever. Uh they don't have any times here. I mean it probably wasn't well uh 
like documented either. Oh, so they they shot from well, shooting doesn't I guess necessarily count, but they shot from June to August in 1933. And the movie came out in November of 33, which by them doing all this within from basically from June to November, like that's that's actually really impressive. Yeah. Um. So that's like super cool. Yeah. Uh. And that's also how they did, like, the stuff that was, like, floating through the air was, like, a similar situation. Uh, I loved the bike, though. (laughs) But he just went, like, biking away. And was like, this is my second favorite character on a bike scene after Kermit the Frog. Like, this shit slaps. So we're definitely giving this. Well, we're, this is definitely nothing problematic from this movie that you can think of. No, I think at one point they refer to the pretty blonde lady as like a broad. Hey, which, broad. like, I guess if you want to be offended by that, knock it out. But, like, you game. Like, at the same time, like, uh, eh. Handsome Bane has referred to me as a dame before I'll live. Uh, has he really? Not a joke. Like, I think he was joking, but like was it was joking. a bit. It was a bit, and it's sometimes hard to tell like how how many levels into the bit we are, because we just go, we just bounce. Like, uh, it was totally, it was totally a bit. There's also like a moment where I think like the Invisible Man like says something to her like you can't help me like you're a simple minded like whatever but like uh, that yeah. might just be because she's actually like not he like he's super smart and he's being condescending because like she seemed to have the the magical powers of female empathy TM so like she she wasn't bad. I think he just was making the argument that her skill set lied lay elsewhere. Uh, he was being a dickhead. I'll, well, I'll... <laughs> wasn't that his like entire character? Touche, it was. It very much was. It was like, I am man, comma, dickhead, period, <laughs> colon, invisible, like... <laughs> you know... I feel like his Tinder bio would be like single man seeking a uh, five foot eleven blonde must be under one hundred and thirty pounds, uh, you know, likes subservience. Uh, by the way, I'm smarter than you and invisible. Uh, oh, speaking of speaking of characters, the uh, the professor that got killed at the end. Yes. He was a dirty Mac, yo. Like, he went so fast into trying to get this broad. Like, he went dead deep into, like, yeah. So, I know your man a piece of shit. I'm right here. Like, let me tell you how I feel. Like, he went so fast. Oh, yeah. He he was slip sliding all the way into those DMs. Uh, He was, like, my man saw the shot. He took a shot. Like, he, he really went for, uh, uh, we like to call it stealing second, which is just the, like, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> he just went for it. He went for all Slide home, slide home! 
I mean, that's if you see some, if you see a beautiful person that you wanted to shoot at, I mean, but that's kind of wild. Man's was gone for a whole month, and the is 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 three to four weeks long enough to wait before you holla I, at somebody. I think it's how long they they were together. I mean, that's. I mean, they, like, thought, they thought he was still alive. I mean, yeah, but if he's like gone. Like, if he disappeared and you haven't heard from him, like, listen, if someone says, like, we should take a break and you don't hear from them for months and then you start dating somebody else and then he comes back and is like, oh, I thought we were still together. Like, does that count? Because uh, I feel like it had that energy. Count. Like, if you get ghosted by somebody and you take up and move on with your life and then someone comes back and is like, I thought we were together. Like... Was she the vic- the first victim of literal ghosting? <laughs> she was literally ghosted. I feel like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, I have trust issues because my last boyfriend, well, <laughs> uh, before he tried to kill my father, he uh, turned invisible. And I didn't hear from him for, for months. Uh, and then he, he came back and it seemed like everything was normal. He was just invisible. Uh and, and then he tried to kill my dad. So, like, I don't, like, I don't think, I don't think you're a bad guy. I just, how do I know you're not going to turn invisible, go on a killing spree, and then try to kill my dad? <laughs> Look, baby, I know your, your man been gone for a long time now, and I'm right here. I mean, you waiting on him, I'm that, right here. He's in that chair. Okay, he'll mind. I'm, you see me talking to you right now. He'll mind me talking to you like this. What that say about him? No, and then just oh, 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 boom, 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 boom. Oh, yeah. Like if that happens, then yeah, we, we know he was listening the whole time. Yeah, no, nah, <laughs> like that, and apparently that's kind of what the new one is. Like he, the guy, like turns invisible and starts tormenting his ex girlfriend that he was probably also abusing before. Yeah, I thought I thought the movie was going to be like an allegory on women who are um, uh, gaslit, who basically yeah. are like. I thought it was going to be an allegory about that, but I'm guessing it's going to be a literal thing about that. Like, yeah. So. Well, I mean, even this one had a lot of that because people were saying like, "Oh, like there's a disease spreading where people are collectively hallucinating an invisible man," like. Yeah. Also, one of the radio announcers said, like, delusions! And I was like, it's my favorite line delivery in this whole movie. Like, oh. <laughs> when radio was important. So, you know, I, I stand that. So, so we both agree this movie should not be canceled. This nope. movie is A-OK. I saw you gave it four stars on Letterboxd. Yeah. I gave it four stars as well. I, I think that a lot of it is, for me, just, like, pacing stuff. But I also know that it's not paced for modern sensibilities. Yeah. So, it was a good time. I enjoyed it. I also watched a 45-minute documentary about the making of it after, which was really boring. Uh, and mostly <laughs> an ad for other Universal home video releases. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. You got you got finessed. <laughs> I got like I feel like I went on vacation and found out partway through like oh I have to sit through a timeshare presentation like <laughs> ew. 
Uh. Hiya puddins, it's your girl Holly Quinn, aka Dr. Holly and Quinzel, here to tell y'all about it. it's like a podcast or whatever. We talk about nerd stuff and life stuff, and if you want to know what we're about, check out the Powie Awards, our 100th episode Q and Slay, or theater from our butts. <laughs> Have a good day puddins, and love, trust, and belief. All right, so I got to see Jurassic Park at the Arclight this week. Uh, for part of the 29 days of free movies. Uh, and I have only seen it once in its entirety before this. Damn. On a laptop screen. Jesus. <laughs> That's uh, so sad. At an, ex- at an ex-boyfriend's house. Oh, this is a trifecta of sadness. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, well, I loved it. I was completely taken with it. I was all in. Uh, and uh, I also had the opportunity to go to Universal Studios in Florida and ride the Jurassic Park boat ride. Nice. Uh, and we stand some iconic dinosaur queens. Uh, <laughs> so, like, whatever. We'll take it. Um I was a big, I was a fan. Uh, So I was really excited to see it in theaters because, like, it came out before I was born. Uh, It did, goddamn it did. (laughs) (laughs) And um, as someone who wants to be a theme park designer, as well as someone who literally took a philosophy of dinosaurs course, uh, (laughs) liberal arts... Oh, there's uh, a philosophy of dinosaurs? What are you learning? Yeah, so a lot of it is a philosophy on paleontology. So, like, what is ownership? Uh, do, you know, how how is science gatekeepy in a lot of ways? So it's more looking at, like, issues surrounding dinosaurs, as well as examining kind of the romanticization of dinosaurs in media. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, shout out to Professor Derek Turner. Uh, I will probably send this podcast to him because he's the man. Uh, And he was probably one of my favorite professors I had at college because he got so excited about dinosaurs. (laughs) Like, like he got so... It was the most endearing thing. I was like, I need an A in this class because I want this man who is so excited to be proud of me. Like... (laughs) Shout out to good teachers. Um, we watched a chunk of Jurassic Park in his class. I think it might have been the whole thing, but I'm pretty sure I was running late because it was a 9 a.m. So I did not <laughs> see the beginning. Uh, in in typical Catherine fashion, it was a 9 a.m. and I showed up with a jug of iced coffee and a straw. Um, <laughs> while we're shouting out things, shout out to uh, like liter jars of cold brew. Liter jars of cold brew. The only reason I didn't fail college. Uh, so, (laughs) um, I also wrote a paper thing about women in paleontology and the, like, ethics of Jurassic Park and Jurassic World in that, uh, but yeah, I have some opinions, uh, most of them are good. A couple of them are things that made my theme park designer brain hurt. Uh, 
<laughs> well, before before we get into that, so for uh, just to set up like my mindset of it, the movie, like mm-hmm. um, I I did see this when it was in theaters. Um, my brother, who was dating some woman at the time, and she had a kid. Like the three of us, like we saw the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like seven or eight years old, and so like. As you as you even you alluded to, you got to see the movie late. I as well. We came to the movie theater late, so the black person that got killed in the beginning, we missed that. So so like we totally missed that. Um, and I was actually there's a parts of the movies I was actually scared. There is yeah. the part where um, where uh, I remember vividly covering my eyes when the guy that was on the toilet when he got ate. Like yeah. I covered, I covered my eyes because I didn't. I can stand and watch it, but but yeah. So I saw this, you know, super super early, and watching it over the years, like it's one of the reasons why Spielberg is one of my favorite directors. But yeah, specifically for you, what were some of your issues, and what were so, some of your praises of the movie? So I really love like ninety eight percent of this movie. So, like, I'm aware that these are some nitpicky things, but as someone who is, like, now studying or hoping to study themed entertainment design, and, like, this this ride was being built by Universal Studios the same time that this movie was being made. So it's not like Steven Spielberg didn't have people he could ask. Like, uh, when the theater starts moving and the uh, Dern and... Dr. Grant, because he has a name, but I can't remember what it is, uh, and Goldblum <laughs> push on those restraints. Yeah. And the theater doesn't stop moving. Yeah. Public health violation. Uh, How? <laughs> How? So, if restraints are compromised, that should be an emergency stop. Oh. Well, they weren't technically open yet, so... Sam Neill. Shout out to Sam Neill. Oh, up. Sam Neill. Yeah, okay. Hi, hon. Uh, sorry. I know you're listening and are, are really upset that I forgot your name. Uh, I'm excited to see you in Jurassic World 3 Electric Boogaloo. So, you know, hey. Um, <laughs> have, you, have you ever seen Jurassic Park 3? Oh, Jurassic World 3. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I've, I have not seen the Jurassic Park sequels. I have seen both Jurassic Worlds. Ooh. Oh, you never... Oh, hold on, so you never saw Lost World? You never saw the second no. movie? No, I only have seen the one bit where Jeff Goldblum is running around going, Sarah! Sarah! <laughs> wow. Sarah! Sarah! So like, and it sounds like an acting warm-up. Like, so I'm imagining funny. him backstage at, like, a Broadway play being like, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. Like... That's so random you would see that part of it, but that's... That's a movie you want to watch. So okay, but let's stick on track. Let's let's stick with Jurassic Park. So like that that to me is an issue. Uh, there are a couple times where like things are just avoidable by if it had actually been like a park, an inspector had come to check out, or it had followed any of the guidelines that exist. Like I understand that this is a privately owned island, but like. At some point, the UN or someone would have had to step in and just be like, motherfucker, like, <laughs> there are dinosaurs, and you don't know when to make a ride emergency break? 
Like, I mean, that park had a lot of problems. So I think I think that's kind of what Spielberg was like. So it's like, yeah, humans so like, humans fuck up a lot in bad ways. Right, but I think for me, and I'm aware that I'm like the niche point zero 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 two percent of people who notice this. I was like, to me, it's a more powerful message if the only mess up is Hammond underestimating the dinosaurs. Where he's got every other variable on lock. You know, if this were opening with animatronics or puppets, it would be fine. But he underestimated the dinosaurs and now the dinosaurs are fucking shit up. And he has to learn that lesson. You know, it's a lot more powerful to me as a man versus nature story Uh, instead of a man versus lawyer versus park versus nature versus shareholders versus dinosaurs, I guess, story. You know what I mean? So I I like that a lot. Uh, Also, in the book, uh, that shuttle that ferry that everybody leaves on has a bunch of velociraptor stowaways on it. Oh shit. <laughs> uh, and they get into a maternity ward. What? Like a human yep. maternity? What the fuck? <laughs> so grim. Why am I laughing? <laughs> Uh, also, it's established that like lies. There's enough lysine in like a lot of different things for it to not really be a big issue. But like, that's fine. I I get it. I get not having time in an already two and a half hour movie to be like, all right. But this is different lysine than the lysine that can be found in like all of these beans and most plant life. Like, so I I get that. Um. So that those those parts just made my skin crawl a little bit. Uh, the other thing that bugs me is when they're climbing that electric fence, and there are several scenes where you can see the end of the fence. <laughs> it's too far to walk. The dinosaur just, was right there. It's like not even fifty feet. Bro, these are little these are little kids, man. What are they gonna do? They don't have no logic. This, this well, the fucking, instead, fucking one science. of them gets shocked to death. That shit was so funny. <laughs> oh my god. He just goes flying, and I'm like, well, he's dead. Ooh. The first time I watched it, I was like, ballsy of Spielberg to murder a child. But, like, honestly, I kind of feel it. Like, that little shit was a little annoying. And, like. That's actually the worst thing to happen to a kid in a Spielberg movie. Like, yeah, Spielberg is very protective of his children. They also can't hold guns. Like, that's a personal rule he has. Jeez. Like, oh, they man, may not... not touch weaponry. I mean, kids are fascinated with weapons. Like, but yeah, I, I'm thinking about it. I'm really, like, thinking about every Spielberg movie I've watched. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Most of, most of Spielberg's shit is about him processing his parents break up through his movies. Like, that's basically what E.T. is, like, yeah. all about. And so, it's... Which I should see. Oh, I was scared of E.T. when I was a kid, too. So... <laughs> I've, I've been on the E.T. ride at Universal Studios. I uh, yes. And I think that shit slaps. Uh, shout think- out to Botanicus, uh, the E.T. teacher. Uh, Botanicus is the man. 
shout out to anyone who listens to podcasts the ride and is a fan of Patana Kush. Uh, Patana Kush, also the man. Uh, At the end of E.T., the only thing I remember was you could sit on a bike and pose with E.T. Yeah. And somewhere in my mom's house is a picture of me as a, like an eight-year-old doing that. So. Yeah, um, well, they also will give you a card uh, and you hand it to the ride operator and E.T. will say goodbye to you unless your name is too complicated, in which case he will say goodbye, friend. Like, so. <laughs> E.T. is not woke. <laughs> E.T. is doing his best, all right? E.T. is. <laughs> E.T.'s contact was just with white people in, what, like, Maine or wherever the fuck they were. So yeah. there's not a lot of diverse names in our neighborhood, so. Yeah. Uh, but you know, he tries, he really wants you to know that he's important, like you're important to him, even if he can't pronounce your name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if, I, if I'm just going to bust out my uh, little feminist critique of this movie real quick, uh, and this one does not have nearly as much material as Jurassic World does, by the way, because like I could write a book. Um, but fucking trash. Yeah. I I like the park design. I tend to get really distracted by the park design and like forget that there's a movie, which I could not do in the second one, and I was really mad about. But anyway, uh, so I don't understand why Laura Dern is a like a what is it? She's a, a paleobotanist. Uh. Is she a botanist? Yep, she's a paleobotanist. Okay. And would you you understand why she's there? Well, no, I don't understand why she is a paleobotanist and not a paleontologist. So, Dr. Grant is a paleontologist. He works with the actual dinosaurs. She is a paleobotanist. She works entirely with plants and flowers. Uh, And shunting women into paleobotany roles, which were generally considered more like cushy was very common at the time and there is no reason why she couldn't have been a paleontologist as well um and i feel like that puts her in the caregiver role more so than her desire to have children does uh and i feel like that like obviously laura dern's character is super like ballsy and pretty kick-ass but like i do feel that i don't love the choice to make her have a like less interesting job than him. I don't. Well, I well I I I'm not disagreeing. For me, I I didn't I had no clue that was like a like a thing that they push women into. So I think for I I think I don't know a lot of people know that honestly. I I never even thought of that myself. Like I always thought, even from that perspective, of not necessarily knowing that aspect of it. And just seeing her, like, through the movie, like, she's smart as hell. Like, she even warns. I'm watching this scene now where they're in, like, the room with, like, the projectors and they're warning Hammond about why he's a total demigod and this is fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like, she's as smart as Jeff Goldblum and Sam Neill. So I did think she was always has a lot of equal footing. Yeah. Um, so, but I do think, you know, if you're saying that, that was a thing in the 90s and like the 80s where they were pushing women into that field specifically and mm-hmm. was viewed as a less than role. Yeah, okay, I, I, I agree that does suck. 
I also feel that she has to kind of push to be taken seriously as an action hero. Um, Because, like, Jeff Goldblum just takes off running with that flare and everyone is like, hero. And she's like, let me go turn on the light switches with Crocodile Dundee over here. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Actually, she's more of a badass than Goldblum in this movie. Like, Goldblum yeah. is like the standoffish, smart-ass, like, smart, he's a smart-ass and a smart guy. But she's, like, way more heroic than, than he right. is. But I feel like it, she needs to, like, fight more to get even the opportunity to do that. And, like, that's really frustrating to me. I also understand it's a different time. And it was written by Michael Crichton, whose stance on women is confusing. Um, <laughs> if your stance on women is confusing, it's, it's probably not that confusing. Uh, I'm also a big fan of, I'm a hacker. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Shout out to, what's her name? Uh, she was she's, cool as She's a hacker. Uh, Hold on. I just realized, what happened to this, this young woman's career? Why was she not in anything else? Because the only thing I remember her in is, is The Lost World. Like, she was not in anything else. Hold Hang on. on. What's this girl? What's well, her name? The, the little boy was in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, right. Oh. The Shout little boy was uh, John Deacon. Oh, no. The, she was in... The very boring bassist. She was she was in fucking Angus. Angus is fucking fire. I just rewatched Angus like a couple weeks ago. Angus was fire. Oh, that's and, like a fairly recent picture of her. She's like she was in Tremors. Tremors. Oh, she was in the original Tremors, huh? She's also she in. She was in. Uh, I want to get you, sucker. Oh shit, that's a fucking classic. I gotta look at that. She was in uh, the Ben Folds Five music video for Brick. <laughs> oh, okay. Shout out to that. Oh, she was she was an episode of Boy Meets World. <laughs> Holy shit! Damn. But have you ever seen Angus? Angus is fire. I don't think I have. Angus Angus falls into that realm of mid nineties teen angst comedies, but a lot of people don't necessarily talk about it in like the like clueless like you know can't hardly wait type of vibe. It's mm-hmm. a, it has a little bit more seriousness to it, but mm-hmm. Angus is, like, really cool. And she's, like, she's an Angus. She's, like, the, the love interest in Angus. So Cute. I recommend that. But she's in the, her last movie was called Battle Dogs. So, ooh, oh boy. I mean, one of, uh, one of Brendan Fraser's most recent movies, which back in 2010, uh, was called Furry Vengeance. Jesus. See, this is why capitalism sucks. Like, people have to work these shitty movies for these for the checks. Like, Jesus. We love us some Furry Vengeance. Hey. <laughs> Double entendre, hey. <laughs> furry Vengeance. 69. Dear listener, you can't see my eyebrows, but I assure you, they are wiggling. Oh, shit. Yeah, so, you know. Yup. Oh, man. So, alright, so, we talked a little bit about some of the things that were kind of disappointing with the movie, but 
talk about some of the things that you you felt with the movie a lot. Okay, so first of all, just visually, like I don't think this movie can be improved upon. Like, yeah. it's there. We're there. Like them's them's some dinosaurs, and them's there. Um, I think the graphics kind of you can you can in 2020 you can see the scenes of the graphics, but in 1993, like you could not see the scenes at all. Yeah, like, there's this there's this theory how like improved televisions have made old movies look worse. Into mm-hmm. a theory that's kind of correct, but for the time '93, like this movie was like virtually flawless visually. Even seeing it in theaters, it was very difficult to tell unless you were yeah. actively looking for it. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things though about this movie is that they couldn't make a Velociraptor suit that looked good because the Velociraptors are like puppet suits. Uh, yeah. With the feet which is why you never see their feet with their whole body. So they had specialty Velociraptor feet that people actually put their hands in. And then they had Velociraptors that instead of like Velociraptor feet just had little human feeties that would stick out of the bottom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Imagining Velociraptors running around with a pair of Nikes brings me endless joy. Uh, (laughs) And I think about that a lot. Uh, Also, I love that the T-Rex was an animatronic and it didn't like to get wet. And one of the ways that it would malfunction was just like start moving or roar. (laughs) Like, so people... Like, the people who made it were just sitting there, like, having a lunch break, and it was just like, and they were like, no! Like... Let's let them get their ass. They were scared as fuck. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like when uh, Jaws started malfunctioning, and they were like, well, I guess we just have a dangerous two-and-a-half-ton thing in the water, which was kind of what we were trying to avoid, but here (laughs) we are. Yeah, so... I I think this movie, for the time that it was out, and also now, like, um, I'm I'm all above I'm all above board for this movie. Um, yep. And I think I mean I think I guess um, Ian Malcolm is the most beloved character as far even apart from Jeff Goldblum looking beautiful in this movie. Like, just the sort of nihilism. <laughs> Yeah. And his, his smartassness, like, that registers a lot on the Marcus Robinson scale, so. I also but, am fairly certain that the line that he has that's like, well, and now I'm uh, alone in this uh, Jeep, and uh, that's, that's, that's chaos theory. Like, the, this, the line in the script, and I know this only anecdotally, I have not, like, sat down with a Jurassic Park script, was, uh, I couldn't have predicted that she would leave to that's chaos theory and he just added the like i'm uh i'm uh alone and uh and uh that's a uh, chaos uh theory uh <laughs> one of my favorite quotes in in this is uh your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could they didn't stop to think if they should they should yeah they they packaged it, they patented it, and they slapped it on a lunchbox, and they sell it. They're selling it. Like, yes. 
Also, though, like, at one point, they pan through the gift shop, and, like, I want one of the purple Velociraptor plushies. (laughs) All this merch? Also, I want one of those thermoses. Those look sick as fuck. Like, they're the old school thermoses with, like, the mug top. Like, give me that shit, please. That was very, that was me big in the mid-90s, like, all that shit. There's also a super cool uh, TED Talk by uh, Mark Rennie, who designed the book cover uh, and then designed the basically the graphics suite for the park okay. for the book, even though, like, it wasn't – he didn't know that it was going to end up being used in the film as well. So it's super cool. It's iconic. Like, that, that logo is iconic. That dot- – that dinosaur is at the Natural History Museum in New York in that pose. Holy shit. And literally Mark Rennie like went, took a picture of it and traced the picture. And then added like the other stuff like around it. Uh, it's super cool. And he's also just super charming. So his TED talk is great. Uh, but it's such a like, there are so many places where I feel like this movie could have gone wrong. Even with something oh. as small as the graphics package. That would have ruined it. You know? But they managed to really pull everything together and make this beautiful, cohesive film. And one of the things that I have to applaud, I guess, Universal Studios for is that the ride at Orlando, it's different now in California feels like a logical extension of that world. So basically, if Jurassic Park had a boat tour, this is what it would have been like after all of the all of the stuff went out. So there's a moment in the ride where you see the trees moving and then one of the jeeps falls over the wall. Holy shit. <laughs> And, like, you know exactly what moment in the movie that is. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you can really track what's happening. And that's so cool. And that ride was developed in tandem with the film. So when they're in that dining room with all the projection art, you see concept art for Boat Ride. That's the ride that they opened at Universal Studios. Nice. Um, So... And also in Singapore, I believe, the Universal Studios Park in Singapore, they actually were able to use the dinosaur models from the film. Oh, shit. So, like, in every other park, they're close. But in Singapore, they are exact. That's great. So that's cool. You know, and another thing that's kind of underrated, like, I do think it's actually a good thing that Laura Dern and... Um, Jeff Goldblum actually outshined Sam Neill because I know we kind of joke a little bit about uh, Sam Neill basically being Indiana Jones, but he you know digs up dinosaur bones. If if his part would not have been like trimmed down and like kind of muted in a way, mm-hmm. if, if he would have been extra, like I need to do have this adventure, I need to solve this puzzle, or I need to do mm-hmm. something outside of the box, like it actually makes the film cheesy and so the simple fact that like those three they're so different and not one of them really tries to outshine the other they're all playing their part like i think that was pretty dope yeah 
I also feel that, uh, personally, uh, his subplot is the weakest because his his subplot is learn to like kids. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like, like it's every '90s like movie of like I gotta learn to like my damn wiener kids. And that that all comes from Spielberg. Like he's Spielberg is constantly trying to find a father figure in these movies for these kids. And that's I mean that's Indiana Jones to um short round. Yeah. So yeah. Spielberg out of therapy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you ever seen the... Uh, uh, I don't know exactly what it's called. I call it the Jurassic Park ah meme. Where it's all the dinosaurs. And it's like... Uh, they you know walk around the corner and it's... Dun, 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 ah! Like it's just them screaming whenever they open their... No, I don't know that. Okay, Uh, I'll send you the Jurassic World one because I think that one's best. But like, uh, it's called Jurassic World featuring big enough Tyrannosaurus Rex, Velociraptor, and Indominus Rex. It's 33 seconds, so I'm gonna suggest that you listen to it in the background. I'm about to dump it in the Skype chat, or just watch it because shit slaps. They have one for every movie. I don't know how this happened. All right, so I'm going to watch it now. What the fuck is this? Okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean that that movie's not much more, not worth much more than that. So you got you to find the 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 treasure in the trash. So mm-hmm. so aside from yeah, um, I know you said describe as nitpicks, but just besides from that, so we're not mm-hmm. canceling Jurassic Park at all, right? No, no canceling. Ah, that's two. That's two. Be kind, be wise. We have not canceled. We're, we were we're on the we back street. Great on this. So we're two for two. Well, technically two for four to cancel and to save. So split right now. But I mean, I feel like two of them are like conditional passes. Like where it's like they are problematic, but like they're good ways to talk about like problematic issues. Yeah, Indiana Jones definitely teeters on the line, but yeah. I, I think that we haven't, like, hard-canceled anything. No, not yet. So far, we have not, no. So, these classics, they're, they're staying in the pantheon of classics in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Ah, shit. So, we covered a bunch of shit tonight, girl. We went, I love the fact that we went from Invisible Man to CBD oil in American Democratic politics. primary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at some point, we're going to have to talk about Onward because I just have like too much to say about Onward talk, to not say it. Talk, but I sell think, me on it now. Sell me on it now. 
uh, that's really tough. Um, I think that the third act is really, really good. Like, really, really good. Uh, it is really beautiful. It has some very funny moments, but a lot of the comedy is not great. Um, okay. Support a new director who's never made a Pixar movie before. Uh, 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 there's going to be a new Simpsons short that opens with it, but I didn't get to see it because they didn't have it in previews, and I'm really salty about it because that means I have to pay to see it. Uh, uh, Find some time. Hold on, uh, counteract. Isn't MagaFace in it? Um, Chris Pratt? Pratt? Yeah. Yes, he is. Ooh. He's the brother that would be Jack Black if this was 2005. Ooh. So why should I still see this movie now? Tom Holland's cute. He's in it. <laughs> He's a good little spider bro. May I, I'll think about catching it. That's I mean, all, I would say if all. you're going to go see it, go see it at like a matinee show if you can swing it where it's not super expensive. Or go like late at night when there will not be any kids. Okay. Because like... Yeah. So, because you... Last couple of years you've watched a lot of animated films is that i mean i've i've always been a pixar kid like one of my first movie watching memories is watching toy story so like i hold them in a very high regard and i hold them to a very high standard um generally speaking i liked disney movies a lot i recently realized that like i have a lot of memories of watching peter pan but like i have not watched peter pan since i was very very young so, like, I think I'm going to try and revisit that pretty soon. Uh, see how that goes. Uh, but, like, I I have a lot of interest in animation. But I have more interest in, like, unconventional methods of storytelling. And I feel like Pixar usually very much excels at telling adult stories in a kid-friendly way, in a medium that is usually considered for children. Okay. Um, and I think that this movie struggles with its identity a little bit. Um, because I think they're trying to make it more for millennials, but wind up kind of shitting on millennials' intelligence in the process. Do you... So... Um, I, don't, I don't think you... Uh, rated this on Letterbox yet, but what would you give it out of um, one out of five? What would you give it? I think I gave it a three and a half. Okay. But uh, you still, I, still recommend though? I think if you watch the trailer and are like, I'm intrigued, then you will get your money's worth out of it. If you uh, watch the trailer and go, oh, Jesus, then like, you're probably not going to enjoy it. Uh, my my favorite joke is in the trailer, so I have no trouble spoiling it at all. I have no hard feelings about it. Is when uh, Chris Pratt brother goes uh, shift into O for onward, and you see that he is taped over the drive on his uh Jesus And like if that joke makes you laugh and not in a like oh my god, like even if it's in a just like. <clears throat> Because it's kind of stupid. It made me do a like... Oh my god. If it makes you do a... Then like, you'll probably enjoy it. Oh my god. That's so bad. 
there's also another joke in it that's really, really good, but it's kind of a spoiler, and I don't want to spoil it. But, like, it was one of the, like, weirdest, most elaborate setup jokes. And, like, then it happens, and you're like, oh, God. Like, oh, God. Oh. And it's, like, a very aggressive moment. So I sent you a list on Letterboxd that um, so every movie that we talk about, not necessarily just mention, but at least have some conversation on. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do like an active list on Letterboxd for it. So yeah, onward. we should. Uh, and uh, we should like make that shareable. Do we have a Facebook page for this pod yet? Um, I do not make a page. Um, I'll make a page. All right, there you go, girlfriend. There you go. I just started my uh, Catherine Chinetti writer at small page last week. So, right. <laughs> how's how's writing been going for you lately? What's what's some like the latest thing you've written? And uh, so I just wrote an onward review for Nerd Caliber, uh, that I think went really really well. Um, and I. Sorry, I just looked at this list and it says you've watched eight out of the 33 movies talked about on here. And then I was like, that's not true. And then I was like, oh, I just have not logged <laughs> most of the movies I've seen because I started using Letterboxd two weeks ago. Yeah, I don't I don't log things unless I, I have like a specific list. And my OCD is I put a lot of shit in a lot of lists. So, so yeah. Mm. But yeah, so I, yeah. 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 Uh, we should make that shareable so people can check that out on, on our coming soon Facebook page. Yes. I'm up for that. Yes. All right, girl. Um, is, there, is there, so again, where can, where can people find what you wrote about onward? Yeah. So if you, uh, go to nerd caliber, uh, nerdcaliber.com and search my name, Catherine Schnetti, it should come up. Uh, it's also their number one trending article right now. Uh, you can also find it on any of my personal pages, uh, at K-A-T underscore Chinetti, C-H-I-N-E-T-T-I on, uh, Instagram, on, uh, Twitter, on Snapchat, on, uh, Twitch. Like, I have, I got into the internet game early and have unified branding across all platforms. So, uh, check, check me out on your local internet, my dudes. I gave you that view right now, so I'm going to read it later tonight. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good weird time, and I think that I'm hopeful that it is a step in the direction of like Pixar in a post John Lasseter world. But we should discuss that at a later date. Um, do we want to officially cover uh, the conversation next week? Um, you said the conversation? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, I'm down for that. So, right. I, so if you need a, a plug on that. Uh, yeah, I'll, send me I'll that link. And I'm looking at your nerd caliber, and I see where you did review episode nine, and you gave it two and a half out of five. Yep. And guess, guess what I have? 
episode nine of my letterbox. Two and a half out of five? Two and a fucking half out of five. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I, I wanna read your old I'm gonna read your old reviews. Um, if anyone is interested in my reviews also my website, uh Dmark Rob T H E M A R C R O B dot WordPress dot com. Um, I did write about um, episode nine also, but I write about like a bunch of shit that's on my mind. So it's his stuff, it's good. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So it's a lot of not only just like movies, but also television and pop culture and societal shit as well. So all right, and so yeah, so we can definitely cover the conversation next week, um, which I think is a very very good movie. But like I said, we'll get more in depth into it next yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, also, at some point, do you have any interest in covering uh, Wild 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 West? The the Will Smith movie? Yeah. Oh my god, no! Because <laughs> I just read it. a very long, comprehensive oral history about the making of Wild 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 West. Ooh, darling. Ooh. And like... I kind of feel like I need to watch the movie now, but like... Oh, you never watched it? I've seen chunks of it. I've seen like the TV version, but I've never seen the whole thing. Boy, this movie is a tragedy. Oh my God, that movie's so bad. Like, that movie is so bad. I'm surprised it did not wreck Wilson's career. But if you look, if you study that movie and how bad it is, it's actually a pretty big telling of what Will Smith's career is. So I think if we actually, if we watch that movie and kind of like analyze Will Smith overall, like, because that movie is a symptom of like the terrible choices Will has made in his movies, I'd be down for that. that Maybe we should do like a a Will Smith miniseries kind of situation where we cover a couple of his movies. Yeah, I'm I'm down for that. Like, All right. Uh, if you guys want that, you should tweet at us and let us know. Um, so, because you know, all seven of you. Um, <laughs> hey, it's seven people is better than no people. So true. Cat, what's your uh, what's your your Twitters again? Your social uh, media's again. Yeah, you can find me on all of the social media platforms. Uh, at cat, K-A-T underscore C-H-I-N-E-T-T-I. Uh, you can also find me on catseesmovies.tumblr.com. And I can be found on Twitter at SeanMadLove, uh, S-H-O-W-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V. Uh, so Sean Mad Love without the G and without the E, basically. So uh, you can find us there, tweet us there, follow us there. Uh, talk to us. We'll talk back. We're not shy at all. Uh, all In case right. you couldn't tell. I mean, we talked about, like, you know, having relations with invisible people. So we're, we're, we're not, there. I don't know where there is, but we are there. Uh, we're there, girlfriend. We're already there. So, <laughs> all right. So we'll get out of here. I, uh, later days. <laughs> We should do this again sometime, internet. (laughs) Yeah. That was good good shit, girl. That was good shit. My daddy's podcast is called Hyphenation. It's the world's greatest podcast. Barack Obama proved. On Hyphenation, my daddy talks about all kinds of cool things. 
And sometimes I'm on the podcast too. Sometimes he has his friend Marcus on. Sometimes he stays up really late and he's tired the next day. But it's worth it. But you love this podcast and I love this podcast. So I really want you to listen to Hyphenation. So Daddy doesn't get sad. He really doesn't get sad though because he has me. Alright, please listen to Hyphenation. Thanks y'all. I love the podcast. So please, please, please try to join. But if you know. Perfect. Thank you. Can we hear it now? This podcast stars Catherine Chinetti and Marcus Robinson. It is executive produced by Kellen Colling and Eric Greenling under Hyphen Podcast Group in conjunction with It's Like a Podcast or Whatever. It is produced and written by Catherine Chinetti and Marcus Robinson. This is a Hyphen Podcast Group production. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime.